Good afternoon. Thank you so much for coming on to the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ website, godsredeemed.org. Watching our program today and being a part of the sermons and the studies that we are engaged in while we are separated from each other. I invite you to open your Bibles today to the New Testament. We're going to be spending all of our time in the New Testament today because we're talking about names by which we are known. Looking at the different terms that God uses to describe those of us who are his servants or his people. And I thought about this study as being good for us during a time where we're separated from each other in that we can appreciate the terms that God uses to identify us as his people or his servants so that we never underestimate the value of who we are as his people and those servants. We are thankful for our brethren. We miss them when we are away from them. And we anxiously look forward to being reunited again to share with one another the in-person fellowship that God has so richly blessed us with in times past and will continue to bless us in times future. We're going to start in the book of Acts today. We're going to look at two passages in the book of Acts as we begin our study this morning. What I want us to do is to, or this afternoon, uh, whenever you are watching this particular broadcast, what I want us to do is to look at names by which we are known, names that God uses to identify us. And the first of those is simply Christians. In Acts chapter 11, in verse 26, we find the first of three instances where the word Christian or Christians are used. It says that Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year that they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It is probably of interest to you, and probably not a surprise to you, that the word Christian or Christians is the word that we use to identify ourselves as the most common term. When we talk about one another, we call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves Christians because we are identified with the Christ, the Anointed One. But you may find it surprising and that the irony of this is that even though we refer to ourselves as Christians on a daily basis, the word is only used three times in the Bible. And of course, exclusively in the New Testament where our study is today. The second of those instances happens in the book of Acts chapter 26 in verse 28 when Paul is speaking before the leader Agrippa. And he says, in verse 25, he says, Mr. Agrippa, I am not mad, or to Festus here, but speak the words of truth and reason, for the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention. Since this thing was not done in a corner, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul there, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. So the first instance is plural, 
the second instance is singular, and then the third instance happens all the way over in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, where Peter is writing to Christians, to those who are followers of God, and he says in 1 Peter chapter 4, and beginning in verse, we'll pick up in verse 15, he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. But what does it mean that God calls us and we refer to ourselves as being Christians? Typically, we think of that as being Christ-like. And that's true. We're trying to be like Jesus Christ. We're trying to live like Him. We're trying to talk like Him. We're trying to actually look like Him in the way that we conduct ourselves. But we need to make sure that we understand what Christ is. And I talked about this a few weeks ago in one of the sermons. And that is, Jesus is not the first name and Christ the last name. That's not the case at all. The word Christ is used over 500 times in the New Testament, and it comes from a word meaning to smear or to rub, typically with some sort of uh, set-aside oil or substance to identify who the leader is. In fact, Christ literally means, if you're reading from a literal translation, the one who was anointed. So we are identified with our king, the one who is anointed. And so we call ourselves Christians. Whether we are separated as we are in this current situation, or we are together on the Lord's Day like we will be hopefully in a couple of weeks, being optimistic here, the fact of the matter is, is we are Christians because we are identified with Jesus Christ. But there's a second term that is used in the Bible, and that is we are followers. And when we are followers, that means that we are following a leader. We sing a song sometimes, and it goes, Where he leads me, I will follow. We are followers of Jesus Christ. The New Testament uses this term only twice to identify us. I want to look at two passages. We'll, we'll go back to 1 Peter here in just a moment. But I want to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 introducing his letter to the church at Thessalonica, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in about verse 5, and he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you, he says to these Christians who are there at Thessalonica, or, as he says to the church, beginning in verse 1, he says, You became followers of us and followers of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. The fact of the matter is, is these Christians, members of the church at Thessalonica, were followers. Similarly, in his letter to the Christians in the dispersion of the first century, we find where Peter says in chapter 3 and verse 13 of his letter, he says, Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? 
You and I are followers. And I believe that it's good for us to be reminded of this term for two particular reasons. Number one, we remember that God kindly gives direction. And we follow him because he gives us that direction. But secondly, we remember that God is the leader and not us. And what is so frustrating to you and what is frustrating to me is that we live in a religious world where people have forgotten who their follower is. They have forgotten that the follower is not the pastor, that the leader is not the pastor, that the leader is not a preacher, that the leader is not a governing board that, that determines what is right or what is acceptable. God is our captain. He is our leader and we follow him. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, or when Peter wrote here in 1 Peter chapter 3 and referred to those of us who are of the way as followers, he was saying that we need to follow our captain, our king, our Lord, Jesus Christ, and God the Father. There's a third term that is used frequently in the Gospels. In fact, 270 sometimes in the New Testament, the term disciple or disciples is used. 270 times, and get this, it is used in only five books of the New Testament. You can probably guess which of those five. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. It is used in the Gospels most frequently and then only used in the book of Acts. What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, it's the same word that we get the idea of discipline. A disciplined person is a person who is learned and a person who is dedicated to a cause. And in fact, to be a disciple is to be a learner. And it's fitting, at least it seems to me, that early church members were called this as Christianity was brand new. We live in a world in which Christianity, the idea of following the one true Savior, has been around now for 20 centuries, give or take. But back then, when the word disciple was used as it was used on 270 different occasions in the New Testament, it was when Christianity, or discipleship of Jesus Christ, was brand new. Knowing this term reminds us of a number of key things, but let me suggest two key things. Number one is that maturing Christians are learning Christians. And this is so important for us when we are separated from each other, when we don't have the opportunity to study together like we have. Now, one of the great resources at godsredeemed.org is that we have Bible classes uh, now being broadcast on Sunday morning and on Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening, so that we can keep up with our regular classes. Currently, uh, we are studying the book of Jeremiah, uh, and that's been a, a great study to get engaged with, and we are studying the book of Acts, as some of you may have already studied with Brother David Creech earlier this morning. But the fact is, is maturing Christians are learning Christians. If you find a Christian that is no longer learning, you are finding a Christian that is in the process of dying or who has already died. And that's how fact of the matter it is, because we need to be learning. 
but, disi but discipline, secondly, and discipleship go together. Sometimes we need to be corrected. Sometimes we need the word to expose the wrong in our lives so that we can improve to do that which is better. And so thirdly, we are disciples. Let me suggest a fourth term that is used frequently in the Bible and that we use about ourselves, and that is we are believers. We sometimes will ask someone, well, are you a believer? And we understand what that means. Now, the world takes the word believer and it uh, morphs it into being something that the Bible really doesn't intend for it to actually mean. Those that believe in Jesus Christ would include a lot of people that aren't going to church and aren't participating in the spiritual things that God has necessarily said are appropriate for a Christian and requiring for a Christian to be doing. But at the core of who we are is the fact that we believe in Jesus Christ. We are believers. Let me share with you three important observations. Number one, being a believer is being associated with Jesus Christ. You have associates in this world, people with whom you are associated, people with whom you have some sort of a relationship or maybe even a friendship. But being a believer means being associated with Jesus Christ. Turn over to the book of Acts chapter 5, and I want us to read just a couple of verses in chapter 5 at around verse 14. But in Acts chapter 5, we recall that it started with the story or the account of Ananias and Sapphira. And then in verse 12, after that, where it said that great fear came upon all the church who heard these things, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord, in verse 12, on Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And in verse 14, if you like underlining things in your Bible, or if you like putting a note in your Bible, note that the word that is used in verse 14, believers were increasingly added to the Lord. In the same way that early believers in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, were being added to the church. One can't be, quote, in the church and not be a believer. You have to be a believer in order to be in the Lord or in order to be in the church. Again, go back and read Acts chapter 2 verses 37 through the end of the chapter and you'll see the progression of individuals who repented of their sins, who were baptized for the forgiveness of those sins, and then were added to the church as part of the faithful group that God is associating with those who are faithful. Secondly, as believers, we have responsibilities to each other. Because you are a believer, you have a responsibility to me, and because I am a believer, I have a responsibility to you. How do I know that? Well, look at two passages, both from the book of 1 Timothy, first in chapter 4, and then in chapter 6. I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, and then we'll look at chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 12, a verse that is likely familiar to you, 
Paul says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Did you notice there that there's the word example and believers in the same sentence in verse 12? You and I as believers are responsible for being examples to others. Furthermore, in chapter 6, in verse 2, go back to verse 1, let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise because of the brethren, but because, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are what? Not Christians, though they are. Not followers, though they are. Not disciples, though they are. But they are believers and they are beloved. Teach and exhort these things. And thirdly, believers must see those who are non-believers as non-believers. If we are going to evangelize, if we are going to try to influence others for good, we have to make sure that we are seeing those in the world as being in the world. This is true for a couple of key reasons. One is we must try to teach non-believers. That's the whole objective of each one teach one. In fact, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he talked about the idea that the words that were committed unto you, you commit them unto others who may learn that as well. But Paul wrote also to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in verse 15, and notice what he says in chapter 6 and verse 15. He says, What accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? This is where he would famously talk about the idea uh, of being called out from the world, be separate and be clean in verse 17. The fact of the matter is, is we have to avoid corruption. We have to make sure that we are not involved in the world while living in the world. Now some would say, well, that's a challenge. And I would say, rightly so, it's a challenge. Because being in the world but not being of the world is the great calling that God has called us to be involved in. Let me suggest a fifth term that is used to describe us, and that is we are children. Paul, throughout his letters, uses the concept of children to address these early Christians. Paul himself viewed himself as a paternal figure, in fact, he calls Timothy his son in the faith. Paul knew of the relationship that Christians have with their father. Go, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, and I want to read maybe a half a dozen verses here very quickly in Romans chapter 8 in verse 16. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, now notice how many times the word is used, that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. 
Then continuing on into the next paragraph or the next section. For I consider, beginning at verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, the word sons there is not the word children, but it's very similar. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious, watch it here, liberty of the children of God. Children have the rights to their parents' estate. At least, typically, that's the way that it works. That's why we're nice to our parents. We want to make sure that they leave us something when they're gone. I'm kidding. But all kidding aside, let us understand that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ according to this precious, wonderful text. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, for example, in verse 14. And he says in chapter 4 and verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but the reason that I'm writing such difficult things to you and because you are so challenged is because you are, quote, my beloved children. That's why I warn you. And to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 14, he says, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, that speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. We are growing up as children, not to be childlike, but to be obedient to our Father. The fact is, is children need to be warned by someone who has the necessary experience and the necessary wisdom. And a final passage on this subject in the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. Philippians 2 and verse 15, where Paul writes, Do all things without complaining and disputing that you become blameless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. By being obedient to our God, we are able to show the world who our Father is. And I wrote about this a few weeks ago in one of the Monday Minutes, that there's that old country song, or at least it's now 30-some years old, I'm seeing my father and me. We look like our physical parents. Now, you might say, well, then, you bet your dad is very good-looking. And you would be right, because we look like our parents, do we not? But the fact is, is spiritually speaking, we look like our father. Or at least that's what we want. We want to look like our parent, spiritually speaking. Let me conclude with a final term that is used that may be one of the least used terms by us, and that is we are saints. You and I are saints. I think we are uncomfortable with using this word to refer to each other in part because the religious world around us has taken the term and made it to be something that God never intended it to be. When someone is said to be a saint, we may think about a particular religious body, 
sanctioning that particular man or woman as being the saint. Or when you say, well, she's a sure saint, we may be saying that that's just a wonderful person or perhaps someone who is void of sin. Well, of course, nobody is void of sin with the exception of Jesus himself. But the term saint is used frequently in the Bible. Did you know that it is used almost three dozen times in the Old Testament to talk about those who are followers of God almost exclusively in the book of Psalms? But did you know that there are twice as many instances, in fact, some 65 times in the New Testament where the word saint is used? So think about that. We call ourselves Christians every day in normal conversation, and the word Christian is used three times. But we do not refer to ourselves as saints because we're reluctant to do so, even though that term is used 22 times more frequently in the New Testament. What's the point that I'm trying to make? Is that maybe we need to use the terms that God uses to refer to ourselves because that's the way he wants us to see ourselves as special. In fact, the word saint is translated as sacred or holy. In fact, it is translated three times more often as holy than it is as sacred because God wants us to be different from everyone else. Because we are holy, we are separate, we are that called out group of people. In fact, that's what it means to be in the church. Paul used the term saints more frequently in a shorter span of time in his letter to the church at Ephesus than in any other book of the New Testament. And I wanna close in the book of Ephesians by looking at three passages that talk about us as being saints. Go to Ephesians chapter one, and you'll note in the very first verse, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, notice he doesn't say to the believers who are in Ephesus, to the Christians who are in Ephesus, to the children who are in Ephesus, though he could have written and that would have had the same meaning, he says to the saints who are in Ephesus. And then drop down to about verse 14 who is the guarantee, speaking of the Holy Spirit, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the, not Christians, but for the saints. In chapter four, in verse 12, the Bible says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then in chapter 5 and verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as it is fitting for saints. You know, it reminds me of 20 years ago when I was in college, or 20 some years ago, I guess 23, time begins to pass by more quickly as you get older. But someone made reference to the fact that, did you hear that so-and-so was made a saint? And then I responded with all the confidence of an 18 or a 19-year-old, and I said, well, I'm a saint too. And the person said, well, what do you mean by that? And then I took them to these scriptures, and they weren't real impressed. Some people aren't impressed with scriptures, but we are saints. If you are a child of God today, you are a saint. This is very fitting because the church 
needs this reminder, and so do we. We are indeed individuals who follow God because we are Christians, we are followers, we are disciples, we are believers, we are children, and we are saints. And we do not take for granted the great titles that God gives to us who are his servants. Yet another term that we could use. If you are not a saint, then you are not a Christian, and you are not a believer, and you are not saved. And we are hoping this afternoon as you're watching this that you reflect on how great it is to be a Christian, to be a saint, to be a follower, to be a disciple, to be a believer. That is something that we count as a privilege. And if you want to become a saint, it doesn't require you being dead for four or five hundred years. You can become a saint today by being baptized into Jesus Christ. The saints at Northfield Boulevard greet you, and we are thankful for you watching. And if we can help you to become a child of God or help you in any way to become stronger in service to our Lord, we welcome the opportunity. Just let us know. We'll be glad to help. Thanks so much for watching this afternoon.